MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, March 30th, 2020. Today, Florida is on a collision course with a coronavirus surge. Uh, an interview with Kai Rizdahl about the rescue bill. Trump wants to limit the Treasury slush fund oversight. Real estate investors get a huge break. And the EPA suspends regulations. I'm your host, AG, and we are sheltering in place, so I'm by myself today. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Uh, we will have... Uh, a Cuomo a coronavirus update from Jordan to kick things off in the A block. She's going to be sending that in to us. Um, we normally, uh, sometimes we do conversations, sometimes we just record our, our parts and send them in. And the reason for that is because, and I think I might have explained this on Friday, our network currently, all of the podcasts on our network are remote recording which is more labor intensive to, you know, than having a conversation live in the studio versus. Uh, me and uh, Jordan and I having conversations remotely, those two uh, audio files have to be stitched together by the editors and the engineers, and it, it does take quite a while longer. So as they have the availability to stitch those conversations together, we have them. Today is not that day. Uh, but we will have Jordan uh, giving you uh, her coronavirus update in the A block, which I'm excited about. My first quarantine with Silverstein is up, and I'd love to hear your feedback. There's a thread in the Behind the Beans group for you to drop your thoughts or just hit us up on uh, Twitter at Daily Beans Pod or at Muller She Wrote. Would love to know what you think. Would love to know what your kids think. It's all family friendly, by the way. Uh, and we do have a lot of news to get to, a lot of it today. So let's kick it off um, the hot notes with the update from Jordan. Let's, 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 let's do the hot notes. Hot notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. Uh, today, I'm going to cover Cuomo's presser again that happened on Friday. Today is Monday, if you're not a patron. Sunday, if you are. Uh, but yeah, a couple days ago, Cuomo had another great press conference filled with a lot of information and a lot of uplifting stuff at the end, which I promised to include. Uh, but let's get right into it. So he started out with a breakdown of the two separate hospital systems that generally exist in New York and really everywhere. He talks about the ring of public hospitals that exist and then the ring of private slash volunteer hospitals that exist. And he goes on to express how critical it is, right, that these share information with each other and, and work together in as intense a way, in as integrated a way, and as safe a way as possible uh, to fight this. It's It's not something, it's pretty unprecedented for these different systems to work with each other, you know, public versus private. And what's even more unprecedented, he said, um, is for all the different regional systems to work with each other too. So talking about hospital systems in New York City versus hospital systems in upstate New York. So he outlines how we have to, you know, first, first make it so public and private groups are working with each other, you know, that might be down the street from each other and uh, simultaneously be expanding that to coordination amongst the entire state of health systems. Uh, let's hear a clip. And then overall, you have these local health systems. The state's role, which we've never really done before, is getting those health systems to work with one another. So we talked about if New York City gets overwhelmed, We'll ask the upstate systems 
to be a relief valve for the downstate health systems, which has never happened before to any scale, uh, and also vice versa. There will be a time where the upstate hospitals will be struggling. And when the upstate hospitals will be struggling, then we want the downstate hospitals to be able to take over uh, and relieve those hospitals. That's actually the advantage of the rolling curve that they're projecting. If it does happen that way, theoretically, the, the, I almost think of it as, as a high tide mark, right? High tide comes first in New York City, then the tide is on the way down, and then it's high tide in upstate New York. Okay, so if, it's, if the tide is dropping downstate, then you have some relief for the upstate hospitals. He then announced that he's extending the orders for non-essential state workforce employees to work from home until April 15th. He said they're kind of going to be taking this in two-week increments. Um, obviously, everything is changing every single day, every hour. So that's just an update for for them. Uh, he then announced that the states developed a less intrusive nasal swab test that will require less PPE and less, you know, potential for transmission of germs from tester to testee. Uh, and that will hopefully be available next week. So that's exciting. That's quick progress. Also, on the topic of progress, we had a correction in Mueller, she wrote, that I wanted to put here. Um, Cuomo... You know, I had talked about on his Thursday presser uh, that he had said they're splitting ventilators using one ventilator for two people. When one of our listeners wrote us an email, which, again, I'm not a scientist, so I cannot personally corroborate, but I'm I'm trusting what they're saying. Uh, they're saying that that's because, again, I uh, the Bachelor of Arts. Uh, OK, so he, he said that ventilators, once they're split, you lose the ability to control essentially how much. I guess what sounds like kind of juice is going to either person. And if you overventilate a person, that can hurt them a lot or kill them. And if you underventilate a person, obviously that can do the same. So uh, kind of a double-edged sword with the idea of splitting it. I don't know if in the U.S. we have a different ability to like monitor the levels that each person's getting once you split them. But either way, um, I think the point that they're trying to work towards solutions and are hopefully going to be very diligent and, and smart about how they do it is is the point there uh he also explained that americans will start going back to work when testing has become you know really fast and very widely available just basically expressing the hypothetical look if you could test everybody right now you would send everybody back to work that's not sick essentially but we're not there and we're very very far from that being the case so Social distancing is imperative, and we're going to keep doing that until that's the reality that we live in, and who knows how long it's going to be. He also announced that the USNS Mercy, that's the naval ship, is going to be coming to New York. Uh, that would have been Saturday. So, again, this ship is not for COVID-19 patients. It's essentially for, I don't want to say overflow per se, but people that are coming with other ailments that don't require ventilators uh, for COVID-19 this is going to be a ship that's going to help those folks that are not sick with coronavirus. Uh, he also announced um, some good news, expressing how many people have stepped up to fill the gaps in staff that they need on the front lines. This is when he put out that call for people to, you know, come out of retirement, um, start working again in a field that they're trained in, but maybe don't currently have 
you know, the, their life set up. So that's what they're, they're doing all the time. He's asking all these people to come back if they're able to. And I'm going to play this clip because it's a, it's a huge, huge number. And I want you all to just like hear the number with your own ears because it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, in terms of finding staff, that's going very well. The volunteerism of New Yorkers, God bless them, we're up to 76,000 healthcare workers who have volunteered. 76,000. 76,000 people who volunteer to go into these hospitals at this time. Just think about that. Okay, so then Cuomo goes into New York stats, um, and I want you to listen for the good news at the end. These are the overall numbers, 59,000 people tested positive, 8,000 currently hospitalized, 2,000 ICU patients, 3,500 patients discharged. We know, we, nobody really uh, points to these numbers, but this is good news. 846 people came out of hospitals yesterday discharged uh, after being treated for COVID, right? So, yes. Uh, people get it, 80% have uh, either self-resolve or have some symptoms at home, 20% go into the hospital, majority of those get treated and leave. So I think that's just something that's important to keep in mind on top of being aware. You know, when we talk about being aware of the, the reality of the facts, that also includes the good facts, which is that there's a large number of people that are recovering from this, and as time goes on, that number continues to increase, and the rate that that number is happening continues to increase as well. We're, they're not, and, you know, inevitably, every major city in the U.S. is not at the apex yet of this, and they're kind of right in the eye of the storm or on their way to it, it looks. But I just think for, you know, the whole view of the situation it's important to also recognize uh, those good facts uh, but also be aware of the fact that cases and deaths continue to go up but like Cuomo has said in previous press conferences and also a little bit in this one today the rate of the doubling of cases is getting slower and slower which is also good news not to say that means cases are going down but the exponential curve that they're occurring at is slowing so or flattening, which is the whole point, um, you know, coincidentally, of the social distancing. We just flatten all the curves. All the curves must be flat. Uh, Cuomo, he then goes into a really um, more of, I guess this is maybe a trigger warning again, kind of more of a somber moment. Um, but I think it's important. He remembers some of the lives of first responders in New York that were lost to this already, uh, and I want y'all to hear their names, so let's listen. We lost Detective Cedric Nelson, Nick Dixon, 48 years old, 32nd, 23-year veteran, could have retired, uh, so we wish him and his family peace. Uh, we lost a nurse, we've lost a couple of other nurses, Kaios Kelly, 48 years old, who was the assistant nurse manager at Mount Sinai West. We wish his family the best. Uh, these public people, I, I, I don't even have the words to express my admiration for them. FDR always had words. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. To me, that says it all today. Everyone is afraid. 
Everyone is afraid. You think these police officers are not afraid to leave their house? You think these nurses are not afraid to go into the hospital? They're afraid. But something is more important than their fear, which is their passion, their commitment for public service and helping others. That's all it is. It's just their passion and belief in helping others. And that overcomes their fear. And that makes them, in my book, just truly amazing, outstanding human beings. And I wish them and their families all the best. Our hearts, condolences, prayers, whatever form your good health and good wishes takes, uh, we send those out to the people who have lost people already from this. And other people who have been affected, maybe they didn't pass away from this, but maybe they weren't able to get care for some other reason. There's going to be so many victims um, throughout all of this, and and I think it's important to take time to remember them. Um, He then goes on to address, you all maybe have saw this headline, it's kind of scary when you first read it, that Rhode Island was stopping people with New York plates, and basically seeing what they were doing there and with a purpose of keeping them kind of away uh that was like a pretty gnarly headline when that came out just in terms of police state vibes and people were generally i don't think a a huge fan of that regardless of where you fall on the social distancing stuff that was just kind of a hardcore practice that also i think people's you know kind of light bulbs went off as oh this could probably be abused for bad things because unfortunately that's kind of what happens and um i don't think it's universally agreed upon yet that that's the point where we're at where people need to be stopped in their vehicles by police officers so uh that's you know this is the united states of america and people generally tend to not be a huge fan of stuff like that so there was a huge outcry after that was announced and was happening but Cuomo said that they stopped, uh, they repealed that practice, so that's good, I think, in general. Everybody might have their own opinions about that. I personally think maybe don't go there yet. That's kind of my general opinion. If that's uneducated and stupid, feel free to tell me that, uh, but I, but I think the general sentiment after that headline was like, holy shit, um, do we have to do that yet? And they're not doing it anymore. Uh, and to close this out, I'm going to close it out with the epic Cuomo good vibes part of his pressers, which always come at the end. And he calls it his personal opinion section. Um, and this is really just generally, I think, uplifting. And it's like a, you know, everyone come together and we're going to hype everybody up and we're going to find the the moral roots of all of this and where we can pull from that that well of duty to ourselves and to greater society and the hope that we can get through this and we will get through this even though it's going to be incredibly trying uh you know this is when Cuomo kind of really I think has been shining in these press conferences in addition to just giving facts and giving updates in a very level-headed way. So I'm going to play that whole thing for you because I love it. Uh, It's about six minutes long, not too long. Oh, wait, no, eight. See? I can't math. Eight minutes long. Um, It's my favorite part of his pressers. Let's hear it. Personal opinion, not fact, gratuitous. 
this is disorienting. It's frightening. It's disturbing. Your whole life is turned upside down overnight. To the best you can, you find a way to create some joy. You, tr you try to find a silver lining in all of this. How do you break up the monotony? What do you do? How do you bring a smile to people's face? Uh, I'll give you my idea for today. Uh, Sunday, I come from an Italian-American family. Sunday was family day. We had the big uh, family dinner, but you'd have it like in the afternoon, so it was like a confusing, but it was like a lunch, late lunch, they called dinner. And it was spaghetti and meatballs and sausages, and uh, my family would all get together. And it was a beautiful time. I didn't really appreciate it as a kid. Uh, but it was just beautiful, because they all came together, and the grandparents were there, and they would start to eat at 2 o'clock. It was like a marathon uh, session. The food was really just uh, the attraction to get people together. You know, everybody talks about how the Italians love the food. That's true, but really, they, they love bringing the family together, and the food was the the way that people came together. And then you sat at the table and it was just a two, three hour affair. Uh, my mother and father uh, uh, did it also. Uh, not to the same extent my grandparents did it, but we had that same Sunday dinner around the table. Uh, I tried to continue it as uh, a father with my kids. Uh, I was divorced and uh, so I'm not really the best cook, uh, to say the least. But we would have, on Sundays, I would actually go to the Italian specialty store and I would buy the meatballs and buy the sausages and buy the sauce. But I would put it in a pot and I would put it on the stove. And because part of it was that sauce would sit there all day and it would just simmer, you know, and you'd smell it all through the house. And then I'd make them sit down and we would have spaghetti and meatballs and uh, sausage on Sundays, and uh, my daughter Cara is in the back. The, they would never eat the sausage and the meatballs. They would pick at the pasta because, see, they, they knew I didn't know how to cook, so they knew that meatball and sausage was inherently suspect. And I never said that I bought it in the specialty store because that would have ruined the whole tradition anyway. So they wouldn't eat it, and we'd go, to, we'd go for Chinese food afterwards. But the, that that uh, convening was uh, something special. Uh, and today we're going to have our family dinner. We're missing one daughter, Mariah. We're going to get Mariah on Skype and Grandma's going to be on the telephone. And we're going to sit around the table and we're going to have that kind of coming together, a little different Skype telephones. But you know what? With everything going on, family, we're here, we're together, uh, we're healthy, that's 98% of it. So find ways uh, to make a little joy. Uh, also for New Yorkers, I know we feel under attack. I had a lot of phone calls yesterday uh, when the president first suggested some form of quarantine. What does that mean, quarantine? Uh, am I going to be allowed to leave the house? So my parents who are supposed to be coming back and this one's here and this one's here. Uh, 
I know we feel under attack. Uh, the Rhode Island, you can't drive into Rhode Island, we'll pull you over with the police. Yes, New York is the epicenter. And these are different times, and many people are frightened. Uh, some of the reactions you get from individuals, even from governments, are uh, frightening and uh, suggesting that uh, they'll take abrupt actions against New York. But look, uh, this is New York, and we are going to make it through this. We have made it through uh, far greater things. We are going to be okay. Uh, we specialize in stamina and strength and instability, and that's just what we're doing now. We are strong, we have endurance, and we have stability. And we know what we're doing, we have a plan, we're executing the plan, uh, anything, any obstacle that we come across, we will manage that obstacle. And we have. I can't sit here and say to anyone, you're not going to see people pass away. You will. Uh, that is the nature of what we're dealing with, and that's beyond any of our control. But. New York is going to have what it needs, and no one is going to attack New York unfairly, and no one is going to deprive New York of what it needs. Uh, that's why I'm here. That's why we have a state full of very talented, professional people. So a deep breath on all of that. And we are doing exactly what we need to do. There is no state in the nation that is better prepared or better mobilized than what we're doing. And uh, I feel that deeply and having studied everything that every other state has done. Federal officials have even remarked to me uh, that they're surprised how quickly a state as big and complicated as New York has actually mobilized. So uh, feel good about that. There are two great New York expressions that I use all the time. Anything I build in New York always has two expressions on it. One, excelsior, says it all, ever upwards, ever upwards, aspirational. We can be better, we will be better, we're going to aim higher, we're going to improve ourselves. Excelsior, state motto, it's on the seal behind me, excelsior. And the other, e pluribus unum, out of many one. Unity, unity. You put those two things together, it says it all. Aim high, do better, believe you can do better, be optimistic, and the way you get there is through unity and togetherness and cooperation and through mutuality and community. Those two expressions. I say to my daughters, if you remember nothing else when I'm gone, if you walk up to the box and have nothing else to remember, Excelsior, you can be better, it will be better, we can make it better, e pluribus unum, we make it better together. That's it. And that's what we're doing. All right. 
thank you, Cuomo. Uh, New Yorkers, our hearts with you. Uh, we just, it sucks not being able uh, to be together to record the podcast, but I'm really appreciative that I have the opportunity to even do this still right now. And that is a point of privilege that I entirely recognize and I wish everybody could be afforded something similar. So thank you for continuing to listen. I know that it's super coronavirus heavy. It's the times that we are in. Um, again, hit us up. Hit us up on social media. Chat with us. I'm at Jordan's Confused on Twitter. Uh, AG is at Muller, she wrote. Mandy is usually, she has her own account too, at Mandy Reader, but she also has a... She's pretty much the Daily Beans account, too, on on Twitter. And we would love to hear from y'all. Hope that everybody's holding up okay, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks, Jordan, for that update. We'll be right back with more news right after this, so stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Upstart. As many of us have found out, it is easy to get into debt. But it's hard to dig yourself out, especially if your credit score isn't great. And of course, it's this, it's this cycle, right? You have the, uh, you're in debt, your bills are late, you get a bad credit score, you can't pay it off, your interest rates go up, you still can't pay them off, it takes forever, and it's just this whole snowball effect of awfulness. But thankfully, now there is Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score, and they offer a smart interest rate to help you pay off your interest, high-interest credit card debt. And they go beyond traditional credit scoring uh, when assessing your credit worthiness. They actually reward you based on who you are, your education, your job history, your awesomeness. And they do this in the form of a smarter rate. Uh, I'm, I could have used Upstart when I was in debt. I wish they were around um, because they believe that you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you and who you are and what your experiences have brought you. And they make it super easy to check your rate. It's a soft pull on your credit, so it won't affect your credit score. You don't get a hard pull until you accept your rate. And the best part is once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get the funds the next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards to meet their financial goals and uh, see that freedom from at, get out from under the debt. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, from the Washington Post yesterday... Immediately after signing the $2 trillion rescue rescue package uh, in a ceremony void of any Democrats, by the way, in the Oval Office, tiny little Oval Office, all standing shoulder to shoulder, these Republicans and Trump was, of course, handing out pens afterwards and shaking hands. Uh, after that ceremony, and we're going to talk about that stimulus bill a little bit later uh, with Kai Rizdahl from Marketplace. You don't want to miss that. Uh, but right after that, Trump already immediately sought to curb oversight provisions by asserting presidential authority from the Constitution over the new inspector general's office, the one created specifically to provide oversight in the doling out of the $500 billion, what people are calling a slush fund from the Treasury. And the thing, the reason people stopped calling it a slush fund is because there was going to be IG oversight. But he is now, Trump is asserting presidential authority over that inspector general. And this portends to set up a massive battle between the White House and lawmakers on Capitol Hill. The new inspector general, who will be nominated by Trump and confirmed by the Senate, uh, will be tasked with monitoring how the Treasury Department extends loans and loan guarantees to businesses, among other things. Uh, Trump says he will not allow the inspector general to inform Congress about what they find without his express 
consent, his presidential supervision. Uh, he says if he doesn't get to do that, it's a violation of executive branch authority, uh, which is called the Take Care Clause in Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution. In a signing statement Friday, Trump, well, this is the one where he handed out pens and touched everyone, Trump questioned the constitutionality of the law's requirements uh, that the new special inspector general for pandemic recovery notify Congress immediately if the administration unreasonably withholds information requested by investigators. So... Uh, that was interesting. And on, on MSNBC Friday night, I saw this, how House Speaker Nancy Pelosi criticized uh, Trump's signing statement as indicative of the difference between Democrats and Republicans when it came to this bill. So Congress will also be able to establish its own panel to provide oversight uh, as allowed under law, quote, in real time to make sure we know where these funds are going. And that's according to Nancy Pelosi. And it's according to the language of the rescue bill. And in addition to reneging on the oversight of the inspector general implementation, Trump has said he wants his signature, per, his personal signature, to appear on the stimulus checks that go out as though he were writing the checks himself. Uh, we all know that these checks are written by the American taxpayer. Uh, we are paying for this. Our future is paying for this. Um, and as you know, we will talk to uh, when we talk to Kai Rizdal, the, de the deficit and the cost of this is, should not be a consideration at all, of course. But to insinuate that that these are, this is Trump money somehow because of Trump going to you, uh, especially when Dems fought to increase double, I think, the, the amount of the check is is pretty brazen. Uh, although, you know, I will say this, a lot of people aren't going to be getting paper checks. Most people are going to be having this direct deposited into the account information they electronically filed with in either 2018 or 2019, depending on what their most recent tax filing was. And further, um, we learned this week, uh, that, uh, this weekend, there's a provision in the rescue bill that could hand wealthy real estate moguls and investors upwards of $170 billion in tax savings. And this is from the New York Times. Um, the federal government planned uh, the federal government's planned two trillion dollar economic rescue package includes financial aid uh, for individuals and industries that are struggling to survive the coronavirus pandemic. But it also includes a bonanza for America's richest real estate investors. Senate Republicans inserted an easy to overlook provision on page 203 of the 880 page bill that would permit wealthy investors to use losses generated by real estate to minimize their taxes on profits from things like investments in the stock market. That is not supposed to happen. The estimated cost of this could change over 10 years. Um, of the estimated cost of this change over 10 years is $170 billion, another $170 billion to the wealthiest Americans. Uh, under the existing tax code, when real estate investors generate losses from, you know, writing down the value of their properties, depreciation, a process known as depreciation, they can use some of those losses to offset other taxes. Uh, the result is that people can enjoy big tax breaks stemming from only on paper losses, even if they enjoy big cash profits in the real world. But the use of those losses was limited by the 2017 tax cut package. Those losses could be used to only shelter the first $500,000 of a married couple's non-business income, such as capital gains from investments. Any leftover losses got rolled over to future years. But the new stimulus bill, this language that they snuck in, lifts that restriction for three years. Uh, this year and two retroactive years, which is a boon for couples with more than $500,000 in annual capital gains or income from sources other than their businesses. That group compromises the top 1% of taxpayers, according to the IRS service data. 
Now, uh, who do we know that would personally benefit from the list, the lifting of this restriction? And and the thing is, is that that you know this these stimulus checks and the unemployment go to help lower income and working class families. Uh, and then we've got all these boons for the super rich and everyone in the middle is just sort of left the fuck out. So um, that's, we'll talk again, we're going to talk to Kai Rizdal about that a little bit later in the show. And this weekend, as we know, Trump said, he actually told Vice President Pence, and he said this with his mouth. So if any Trump supporters are like, he never said that, we can show him the video of the press conference, the task force briefing uh, that happened. He told, he said he told Vice President Pence not to call uh, Inslee, don't call Inslee in Washington, the governor of Washington, don't bother with that guy, he's useless. And the woman in Michigan referring to Governor Whitman. Uh, and he said, he told Trump not to call them unless they treated him better. Uh, Trump, by the way, not Pence. However, Florida, who has been slow to implement mitigation strategies for the spread of coronavirus, there was a big church, a uh, mega church gathering there today. They didn't close the beaches in Johns County until Today, March 29th, that's when the beaches got closed in John County. But Florida got everything they asked for uh, from the federal government. From ProPublica, they say, quote, while it may appear like the federal government is playing favorites, however, federal officials say their decisions are based on their best assessment of needs. Health and Human Services told states this week that it's giving out 25% of the stockpile to states according to population size and sending the other 25% strategically to states with the most severe outbreaks, which can be used for needs such as testing passengers on cruise ships brought back to shore. The remaining 50% will be held in, quote, strategic reserve to be used if there's a huge spike of critical uh, needs uh, across the country. And there is right now a huge spike of critical need in New York. And uh, I believe um, there were some ventilators sent to California, 170 of which were broken. And so now California is repairing those ventilators. And it's hard not to imagine that, uh, first of all, uh, is FEMA inspecting what they're sending out from the national stockpile and fixing, uh, making sure that, that all the ventilators that are sent out to the states and the governors that they're functional. Uh, either they're not inspecting them and don't care, or they are inspecting them and they were sent anyway. So that's unfortunately because of the the ilk of this administration, I wouldn't put either of those things past them. Uh, it's one or the other. But the inability of the United States to deploy widespread testing uh, has further complicated how the supplies are being apportioned because health officials don't have a picture of where the virus is circulating most widely. So they're basing uh, the doling out of, of this equipment from the stockpiles on faulty data, um, which if you've you know ever done a thesis or a dissertation should drive you insane. But many states worried that their case counts are about to soar and their hospitals will be swamped have been unsatisfied with their allotment. They're going by the hospital numbers, uh, and, I mean, those don't lie. And here's a story that flew under the radar this weekend from The Guardian. A 36-year-old man was killed by the FBI on Wednesday who had been planning a bomb attack on a medical facility in the Kansas City area. This is according to the agency FBI uh, in a news release that they put out on Wednesday. Timothy Wilson, 36, was injured on Tuesday when FBI agents served a probable cause arrest warrant in Belton, Missouri, after a long-running domestic terrorism investigation, according to uh, a statement on Wednesday from uh, Timothy Langan, special agent in charge of the FBI's Kansas City office. That's their Kansas City field office. The statement did not detail what happened when the agents served the warrant, 
Uh, but uh, Wilson was armed when he was injured and died later at the hospital. That's the suspect. Uh, a months-long investigation determined that Wilson was a violent extremist. He is motivated by religious, racial, and anti-governmental beliefs. And according to the statement, uh, he had planned for several months to carry out a bombing and decided to target a Kansas City-area hospital using a vehicle-borne impro- improvised explosive. Um, Wilson shows a hospital that was providing critical care during the coronavirus pandemic and had taken steps to acquire materials to build a bomb uh, in an attempt to cause severe harm and mass casualties. That's according to a statement from the FBI. And of course, uh, this week in Watch What They Do Under the Cover of Coronavirus, um, the Environmental Protection Agency issued a sweeping suspension of its enforcement of environmental laws uh, on Thursday, telling companies they would not need to meet environmental standards during the coronavirus outbreak. The temporary policy, for which the Environmental Protection Agency has set no end date, would allow any number of businesses and industries to make an end run around environmental laws, with the agency saying it won't seek penalties for noncompliance. Uh, In a 10-page letter to the EPA, uh, if you're wondering what sparked this, earlier this week, the American Petroleum Institute, surprise, surprise, uh, known as the API, asked for a suspension of the rules that require repairing leaky equipment as well as monitoring to make sure pollution doesn't seep into nearby water. Incredible. Um, That's just incredible. But the memo signed Thursday goes beyond just that request, giving industries broad authority to pollute with no oversight from the agency, from the EPA. Quote, incredibly, the EPA statement does not even reserve EPA's right to act in the event of an imminent threat to public health. There's not even a clause like a safety clause in there for crazy shit. Um, Instead, the EPA will defer to states and work with the facility to minimize or prevent the threat. EPA should never relinquish its right and obligation to act immediately and decisively when there's a threat to public health. No matter what the reason is, I think allowing leaky shit into the water supply is a threat to public health, but whatever, what the fuck do I know? I am not aware of any instance when the EPA ever relinquished this fundamental authority, as it does in this memo. So there's that. Uh, And I don't even know what to say about these these kinds of things. Um, I know Trump has been wanting to dismantle the EPA. He uh, Watch the Department of Education. Let's see what happens there uh, with maybe defunding uh, education. Let's, let's watch. I mean, watch any of these agencies. Watch what happens at the Department of Veterans Affairs. We already know they're trying to privatize that um, that institution. And uh, with, you know, the coronavirus outbreak and the fourth mission, they might find a way uh, to to continue uh, the deterioration of our agencies. So keep an eye out. Um, Somebody tweeted, um, if if capitalism is so great, why does it need socialism to bail it out every 10 years? So I'll leave you with that thought as we go into the break. Stay with us right on the other side of this break. We will be joined by Kai Rizdahl from Marketplace. Truly an honor to speak with him. You don't want to miss it, so stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Third Love, the makers of my favorite bras ever. I'm totally obsessed. That's all I wear. I only wear Third Love bras now. Nowadays, we all want products made just for us, tailored just to us, not some generic cookie-cutter item made for the masses. You don't have to buy off the rack anymore because there's Third Love. Their bras are tailored for your individual shape uh, and not everyone else, just for you. Uh, Did you know that many women fall in between cup sizes? Me included, which makes it unbelievably difficult to find the perfect fit. You always have that cup gap. 
Um, and it was so frustrating, or the spillage, and you never find the right fit. But not anymore. Third Love is the industry leader with 80 bra sizes, including signature half cup sizes, so you can find the right fit just for you. Just check out their Fit Finder quiz online. Just a minute or so, you can find the ideal bra uh, that is perfectly tailored to your body. Third Love factors in both cup size and breast shape to find the exact perfect bra for you. And every Third Love bra is made with lightweight, super thin memory foam, memory foam cups that mold to your shape. And their straps don't dig. They're so comfortable. And the, the scratch-free band doesn't have a tag, so there's no itching. And all of that is designed for the utmost comfort. And it is ultimately the m- most fantastic bra you will ever put on your body with Third Love's Perfect Fit Promise, which is so amazing. This is so philanthropic and beautiful. You have 60 days to try it, wash it, wear it. If you don't love it, if it's not the perfect fit, returns and exchanges are free and easy. Their customer service is stellar. And they donate all their gently used bras to people in need. And so far, they've donated almost $15 million in bras supporting charities across the United States. So, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone right now. They're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash dailybeans now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash dailybeans for 15% off today. Joining us for the interview today is host of NPR's Marketplace, Kai Rizdahl. Kai, thank you for agreeing to speak with me today. You bet. Really glad to do it. So just diving right in here. I've been of the mindset that the $2 trillion or $2.2 trillion stimulus falls short by about half and that I, I felt like it should be closer to what our actual GDP is to make a difference. But on Friday's show, we had a, tech, a tax expert come on regarding the upcoming stimulus payments, which leaves a lot of people out and obviously ignores the cost of living. And I wanted to ask your thoughts on a few things. And um, first of all, I can appreciate the additional unemployment expansion in this stimulus package. But given the 3.3 million jobless claims last week, do you think this is a one? How, how is this one time stimulus check even close to enough? It's not right. And we should acknowledge that there's going to have to be another stimulus plan. The problem, of course, is that politically, the more you um, pile on a bigger stimulus plan in the beginning, right, and $2.2 trillion is a lot of money. Um, the more politically difficult it gets uh, to do another one. And you talk to the survivors of the Obama administration in 2009, and they will tell you there was no appetite at all for another stimulus plan. Now, I'm not saying that this is that, but there's going to have to be more. And and look, I think stimulus is probably the wrong word, by the way. Mm. There's going to have to be another rescue of this economy because uh, there are huge parts of it shutting down. And as you said, by the way, I think it really ought to be more matched to the scope of GDP that's going to be lost for two or three months, right? Which is on the order of four, four and a half trillion dollars, mm-hmm. you know, if you do the math. Um, so there's going to have to be another one. The only question is how big it's going to be and what the political will is. Yeah. And it doesn't help that we were already uh, have have a trillion dollar deficit because of the I don't know, premature or totally unnecessary tax cut that happened early on in this administration. It sort of got rid of the whole buffer zone, didn't it? Yeah, well, you know, now's not really the time to be talking about, honestly, and this is going to sound, you know, Pollyanna-ish, but money is basically free right now. The American government can borrow at 30 years for something like 1%, which is bupkis, right? Also, we control our own currency. So the Federal Reserve, as it has been doing the last 10 days, has great latitude to be able to get programs out there. But of all the times to talk about deficit, this is not one of them. Yeah. Oh, no, agree 100%. Uh, I just, uh, for Republicans, I, f- I feel like, or at least some certain deficit hawks in the Congress, it's what makes another stimulus less pa- like palatable. Right. Um, and speaking of that, money is free right now. Can you explain to our listeners, because we 
<clears throat> we haven't been able to quite get our heads around this. Uh, and Steve, uh, who, uh, that's what I call Mnuchin, has been <laughs> <laughs> has been talking about um, freeing up paper and four trillion dollars of liquidity to support the economy, leveraging our equity uh, for broad-based lending programs. And he just sort of glosses over this $4 trillion number a lot. What Can you explain what that $4 trillion number is, where it comes from, how, how what, what the liquidity is? Yeah, I'm going to keep it super high level because otherwise people's eyes will cross and they will turn off this podcast and nobody <laughs> wants that. Um, the, the Federal Reserve is perhaps the only institution in the country, in, uh, in the world, frankly, that has the ability to print American dollars. It, it in fact, is the only uh, uh, institution in the world. What they do is they create electronic credits on their balance sheet. They can give themselves as much money as they want. And then they use that um, money, right, because it's actually real dollars, to facilitate lending in various aspects of the financial markets, whether it's bank to bank, bank to company, company to people, whatever they deem necessary now, right, in terms of lending, they have the power to do that. And that's what that $4 trillion Mnuchin is talking about is, right? There is, um, God, there is some amount of money in the uh, stimulus bill, and I, I frankly forget how much it is, that is there to backstop some of that lending, okay? Because the Federal Reserve does not want to take losses. If people default, the Fed can't be left holding the bag. So the Treasury Department, with the authorization of Congress, has something like half a trillion dollars, I don't know. There's, there's a huge amount of money in there for the Federal Reserve to um, take losses on some of its loans. But it gets that money out there, the trillions and trillions of dollars, so that people and institutions can lend. And that's what liquidity means, right, in this instance. It's getting cash out there so that nobody's afraid to lend money. Ah, I see. Um, remembering when they tightened up all the credit uh, after the, the last recession that we went through, and that, that yeah. was pretty bad. Um, let's talk about the stock market for a minute. And I know... I know. I've listened to you for a long time now. I know the stock market is not the economy. <laughs> Thank you. You saved me having to say it. <laughs> Although I'll probably ask you to say it at the end just for fun. But uh, there's a lot of other forces at work here, including the unemployment claims, which you know may or may not be temporary. The housing market was already kind of slumping in February. I think it was down 4%. Um, most people with employer-based health plans are losing that coverage. And from the New York Times this weekend, we learned that these premiums could spike up to 40% because of the costs uh, to treat coronavirus. So while, while Trump and Kudlow try, this, uh, try to tout this as a temporary uh, situation, and it's not economic, it's, it's disease-based, uh, and everything will just pick back up when it's over, it seems like less of an anomaly when you consider all the secondary impacts. Is, is this just a blip or... No, that's exactly right. So look, all that talk as this was getting really serious about, and oh, by the way, I hear that dry cough of yours. Yeah, I know, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. Look, yeah, be, be very attentive to your symptoms. Um, all this talk of a V-shaped recovery, right? Sharp down and then sharp bounce back up that people were talking about like three weeks ago, even though it feels like three years ago, <laughs> is simply not going to happen. And here's why. People have lost their jobs. People are not buying. People are uncomfortable. Like, how long is it going to take for somebody to be willing to get on an airplane after this virus is contained? It's going to be a little while, right? Let alone shaking hands in a business meeting. All of these things are going to take more time than anybody thought. So if we're lucky, this thing bounces along the muddy bottom for a little while and then picks back up. But I think it's not unlikely that we will see effects well into 2021. And here's a really good example. My local school district, about two days ago, the superintendent came out with a notice 
to the community. And she said, we have been told to expect budget cuts this year and next year into the 2021 school year. Cuomo, Governor Cuomo of New York, said on Friday, New York State is basically at zero tax revenue because there's no economic activity happening. That is not going to be solved in a short term. And that's why when you hear the president and when you hear his chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, say this is going to be contained or quick or we're going to bounce right back or there's going to be pent up demand. That's not a thing that's actually going to happen. Yeah. I remember Cuomo was also talking about how there wasn't nearly enough in, in the federal assistance in, in this uh, rescue package, uh, not stimulus, uh, to, to help with these state budget shortfalls. Yeah. No, look, that's true. If states don't get tax revenue, think about all the things they can't do. Schools are only one of them, right? There's infrastructure, there's um, public safety, there's all these things that tax revenues pay for that are not happening now. I mean, my wife and I were looking at our credit card bill the other day. And since we have not been out and about in this economy for the past, you know, 10-ish, 11-ish days, our credit card bill is really low, which is, yay, great for us, but terrible for sales tax revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Um uh, just personally speaking. Um, and uh, something else that uh, one of our listeners wanted to know, we went, I think, from the fastest bear market on record to the fastest bull market on record in like a, a six weeks. Uh, is this what the administration says, a temporary issue? Or has the market been looking for an, an excuse to correct? I, I've been reading that maybe this is a combo correction, like like the <laughs> the market to which I, I, you know, I know it doesn't have a mind of its own, but it is a living thing is like, oh, time to correct. I know we're well out of correction territory, but. Well, so look, uh, things were really high for a long time and a pullback was overdue, right? It just was because things had become disconnected from the real economy, right? There was income inequality, jobless uh, growth was was accelerating. I mean, things were happening that, if you were watching the stock market, stock market, you were like, oh, this, this doesn't really make sense. And then the virus hits and everybody just went, oh, that's it. We're out. And they had no appetite for risk. They had no appetite for uncertainty. They had no appetite for a, a vacuum of leadership. And they said, hey, yeah, we're, we're going to bail for a while uh, and, and see what happens. And, and look, I, I, this is not my original phrase, but a, a guy I respect who watches Wall Street really carefully, his name is Josh Brown. He said, the market is not going to bottom until the virus tops, right? Until the virus, until the curve of that virus starts going downhill, the market's going to be uneasy. It just will. Yeah. And I've heard all sorts of predictions from three weeks from now to May 10th to a rolling curve. Nope. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody, nobody can tell. Maybe Anthony Fauci knows, but other than that, I don't know. He's not saying. <laughs> I, I feel bad for that guy. Like he, he just every, every time at that press conference or those task force uh, war room, uh, you know, press conferences. He just has his hand on his face and he's the head of the CDC, but yeah, um, not the head of the CDC, but you know what I mean? So one last question for you with these stimulus checks, because we've had a couple of conflicting experts tell us different things. Um, if you make more money in 2020 than you did in the tax return year that they used to decide how much money to give you, will that money have to be paid back in 2021? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think it's going to be a mess for a very long time, like 18 months on what's taxable, what's not, who has to pay what and who gets what. You know, I, I don't know. But get the money now. Spend it because the economy needs it. Um, and, and then we'll see what happens. You know, and, and look, here's the here's the other part of this. Here's the other part of this. And this is really important. 
$1,200 for an individual up to $99,000 salary last year, or $2,400 for a couple up to, I think it's like $150,000 if you're filing jointly. That's, that's really nice, and it will pay part of one month's rent here in Los Angeles, but it's not enough. It's not enough. And that's what I wanted to ask you about with, with, the, with the cost of living. That wasn't factored in. It was just a straight across the board's means test. So somebody with you know, a $600 mortgage in Wyoming uh, on, a, on a giant house there versus, you know, I, first of all, I'm not, because of the cost of living and because I you know, work for the federal government, I make a considerable, considerably more than I would if I lived in any other uh, city except for you know, San Francisco or New York. But it's, it's a third of rent. Yeah. No, I know. Look, there are great disparities in the way this money is being handed out. And so 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 that look, let's be realistic about this. Right. The logistics of this thing in terms of getting money into the economy as fast as possible. Really, I don't think they could have with any speed said you in Wyoming with six hundred dollars rent, you get six hundred and fifty bucks. You in California with twenty seven hundred dollars rent, you get three thousand dollars. I don't think they could have done that. Right. It was slowed it down and and been detrimental. so I think we have to sort of accept that one. Um, but but the overriding, the overarching consideration here is that it is not going to be enough. Well, yeah, they should have aimed higher. And then the guy in Wyoming lucks out. Right. Um, right. Look, yeah. and maybe he's and maybe and maybe he spends more money. You know, maybe. He, right. When the economy picks back up, he spends more money and everything's good. I mean, I don't know the answer. Yeah, no, I I don't know the answer either. And then finally before I let you before I let you off the hook here, I have a lot of listeners who are small business owners. I'm talking 10 employees or less, a lot of ag, a lot of agriculture businesses um with those with that low amount of employees and and everyone's a little bit confused as to because it puts them over the income threshold for any stimulus check though it's not very helpful, but it also they like they they're allowed to borrow money at no interest, they have to pay that back. Uh what what are what if any are are small business considerations for like in this stimulus or rescue. I think the best thing truly and there's a there's a time squeeze that gets involved with this because you have to figure out your cash flow in your small business versus laying people off. But there are provisions in this bill for small business loans and then loans being forgiven if you keep people on, right? And that is really, I think, the main consideration. Now, each individual business is going to be different based on its free cash flow and how much money it actually has to keep the business going. But it's a powerful incentive to not put people out of work, even with expanded unemployment benefits as they are in this bill, Loan forgiveness is a powerful incentive to keep people on if you can. That, that I think, is the main thing in this bill, truly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm, I'm a little wary about uh, loan forgiveness programs uh, as a federal employee with student loan forgiveness, which I've been denied for the last three years. Uh, I can just see, you know, with, with Trump now saying, uh, we, you know, I'm going to be in charge of the inspector general that's overseeing this $500 billion uh, bailout fund from Steve uh, I can just see there being some issues with that. But I mean, you know, we have to go by what's in the bill and what's what's printed up. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, NPR's Marketplace, Kai Rizdal. Uh, obviously, everyone can find you on NPR. Anything else you want to let us know today before I let you go? Well, the one thing, of course, and you goaded me into it earlier. Number one, the stock market is not the economy. Ooh, we said it. And the economy is not the stock market. So that's number one. Number two is wash your damn hands, people. That's it. <laughs> Wash your damn hands. You heard it here first from Kai Rizdal. Thank you so much. Uh, please take care. Have a have a great uh, have a great week coming up. You too. Talk to you soon. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for good news. 
All right, to kick off the good news segment, I've got a little schadenfreude for you. Schadenfreude! All right, just another kick here for uh, host Alex Jones, host of InfoWars, uh, Total Dick. He was ordered on Wednesday to pay more than $20,000 in legal fees after losing another appeal in a defamation case related to the Sandy Hook mass shootings. Uh, This is about the conspiracy theory when he called them all crisis actors and said it didn't really happen. He was sued by nine families. And with this $20,000, he has now racked up more than, uh, oh, almost $150,000 in legal fees. And he hasn't even faced a jury yet. So this is just delicious. It's tasty. It's schadenfreude. And I hope that you enjoy it. And joining us uh, for your good news stories uh, is Amanda Reeder. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing pretty well today. How are you doing, AG? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, just, you know, self-isolating over here. I, I, I assume you all, you all are doing the same. Yep. Just keeping on trucking with that staying inside all the time. Hard for extroverts. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, tell me about it. I know. I know. I'm like, uh, like, I've been thinking like my whole life, like, I don't like people. And I'm like, nope, that's not real. I love people. I miss them. I want to be around them. So. <laughs> Um, I had a friend come and pick up some mayonnaise and mustard and, and some uh, hand cream from me that I had a bunch of extras. And mm-hmm. it it's just it feels so weird to like put it in a bag and like leave it 10 feet away from my doorstep and then to like see them from afar and not be able to like hug them and stuff. And it's just weird. It's definitely very weird. I also noticed that like out on my walk today when I was walking my dog, every little interaction, like first of all, people said hello way more often than they usually do. Everyone was like, hello, (laughs) just desperate for a human interaction. Um, But just, you know, the little hellos lingered a bit longer. I was like, how are you? Like, you know, just people in my neighborhood, (laughs) everyone's clinging to uh, their sanity. But it is really nice to see more people saying hello, at least on the walks. I can, everyone has a sense of solidarity when you're out in the hood. So I hope that sticks too. And and that would be nice. Yeah. And speaking of uh, human solidarity, what, uh, what good news stories do you have from our listeners this week? Yeah, we uh, just got a couple today for us, um, and uh, this one is is one about you, AG, actually. This is from Danielle Miller, and she said, Quarantine with Silverstein really helped me relax last night, so thank you so much for that. Aww, I'm glad you liked it. You're welcome. Yeah, so hopefully we'll do more of those in the future. Um, this is from Sarah, who said that Ben Folds has started hosting a weekly live concert on YouTube where he interacts with fans. Um, and my husband and I caught one yesterday and had a lot of fun. So that's fun. It's really rad to see how many musicians and artists are, you know, uh, uh, bringing their stuff online. Um, obviously it's a disappointment for them not to be able to tour, but you know, there are options out there if you need, if you need something a little different other than just Netflix. Yeah. Um, somebody actually tweeted, uh, you know, as you're self-isolating and staying in and watching all these concerts and plays and, and taking tours of museums and listening to music and, and binge watching television programs and comedy specials. Keep in mind how much you're turning to the arts. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And if you can't afford to give, well, to give, lots of places need our money, but artists definitely need our money right now. They are completely prevented from, from uh, you know, doing shows and stuff. So if you're, if you're consuming art, uh, consider giving to those to those creators, um, like us. <laughs> um, this is from Alyssa Desmond, and this one, this one is really is really beautiful, and um, and gave me a lot of strength. And she said, 
Um, having gratitude literally heals me and teaches me to always have hope. Healing and hope were not always a part of my orbit for a long time after my son passed away five years ago. My sweet kid is forever 22 and we have no other children. So this grief journey we're traveling on changes everything. At first I learned gratitude was a thing to make it through the day. And now my husband, who is my entire world, is healthy. Finding or seeking hope stimulates resilience and all of us are much stronger than we think we are. Oh, that's really beautiful. I know. That was really nice. So thank you, Alyssa, for sending that. Um, This is from Cal Landmesser. I think I pronounced that properly. I know that we have so many parents who are listening who are probably having a stressful time, but, you know, we are more adaptable than we think we are. So this was a really nice note about how their lives are getting a bit easier. She said, this past week, we started homeschooling, my son and I. My son is 11 and he is autistic. He usually goes to a private school via scholarship Um, that specializes in applied behavioral therapy, uh, one-on-one positive reinforcement education. I'm not really the best at homeschooling and had a ton of anxiety about starting a very structured schedule with him in our home environment. However, after the last week, I can say we are starting to do great with the program. My son loves the interactive lessons via Zoom, and I'm starting to get a very clear picture of what we need to work on. I'm going into the next week with far less anxiety and ready to show how much improvement we can make. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty amazing how quickly we can adapt. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, a couple more quick ones here. This is from Olga. And Olga said, my next door neighbor is really not in the best of health and gets a care package of groceries from church, uh, which actually exasperates him, exasperates him as he doesn't know how to cook. Uh, he knows that I do, so he offers me the supplies. So we made a deal. I cook, he eats. No waste. <laughs> awesome. I know. Neighbors helping neighbors. I love that. Uh, This is from uh, Kimberly Weber, who said, FYI, the Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra virtually stages Beethoven's Ode to Joy with 19 musicians playing their favorite individual parts from their house. Uh, They've been live streaming that. I have watched that. I've watched that one. Yeah, I love that. Um, And this is just the last one. Uh, Cindy McNary said, I am learning how to finally be techie to have virtual happy hours and game sessions with family and friends. Um. And I wanted to point out, if you're a patron and you are feeling alone or you're in self-isolation and you don't have anyone to to FaceTime with you or play a game with you online, just reach out and ask. I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat and not everybody has people they can call even virtually who are really available in the same time zone. So definitely reach out if that's you. Um, we still, we shouldn't be emotionally distant because just because we're being socially distant. Uh, agreed 100%. And thanks to everybody who joined us on our uh quarantine Q&A cocktail happy hour bonanza. It was so much fun. It was. Once we got our tech shit figured out, it was really fun. We got a tweet from someone who said, uh, I'm I'm 70 years old, I'm self-isolating, but I figured out how to cast you all to my TV and it was like I was hanging out with friends. Oh, that's so cool. I don't even know how to do that. Right on. (laughs) Well... Awesome. Well, Amanda, it's been great talking to you. I miss you and um, hugs to Joelle. And I hope everything's going great over there with you and your and your little family. Yeah, we are working on it. We are extremely, extremely fortunate to be, you know, to be safe in our home and to have the supplies we need and to still have income coming in. But uh, but I know that a lot of people aren't. So everybody stay strong out there. Take care of yourselves and uh, and keep sending in your good news, because I know that it's it's it helps us, but it helps all of you too. So keep sending it in. Yeah, we hear nothing but uh, positive feedback on our good news segments. So thank you all for sending that in. And everybody, as always, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. 
I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>